fired from a busing job for stealing the server's tips. Impressed, I said, Can I tell my sister that you mouthed off to an officer when he busted you for stealing his jacket? Sure. Can I mention that you sold weed out of your backyard and planted pipe bombs in people's mailboxes? He answered in his slow drawl, That's just the plain truth. You can say any of that. Mitch had been the kind of alcoholic who drove stinking drunk with open bottles in the car. Then he found the Lord, who miraculously sobered him up. But the Lord didn't clean up Mitch's language. Mitch had to do that by himself. For a whole year, he spent the noon hour at work, biting his tongue in the lunchroom, saying nothing rather than risk the stream of foul language that had characterized his conversation before Christ. These lunchroom descriptions intrigued me. Sometimes profanity seems the outcropping of a limited imagination. F the effers! Somebody effed up the effin' microwave with some effin' ravioli! I'd like to think that Mitch was more resourceful. Mitch had overhauled his vocabulary, sure enough. Still, after almost two months of dating, one might expect the occasional outburst. So far, Mitch's spiciest utterance had been, Well, I'll be double-dipped. Imagine this in a light southern accent coming from a huge goateed rocker who has a permit to carry a concealed weapon. When a man has a gun in his pants, you don't expect him to be double-dipped. On an early date to a sculpture garden, I asked Mitch why he was always so taciturn. If a man don't learn to curb his tongue, he said, he'll talk a lot of foolishness. We were passing an enormous abstract painted steel sculpture by Alexander Lieberman. Struck by the soaring arches and muscular lines, I paused. What does that say to you? Says some dude had a lot of free time. But isn't it spectacular? Sure, spectacular if you got enough food to feed your kids. Mitch's way of reducing things to their simplest essence provided a pleasant contrast with the sort of commentary provided in my circles. Literary critics like to make things as opaque and complicated as possible. English professors chased nuance. Mitch summed things up. Mitch's 16-year-old son, Leroy, had already confided that for as long as he could remember, his buddies had been terrified of his dad, around whom there had sprung up a stern Terminator legend. First, there was Mitch's size. Leroy's dad caricatured the impossible male physique. Chest like a scenic vista, cannon arms, a waist that disappeared into his jeans like a genie into a bottle. He kept clanking steel gym equipment in his living room. Then there was the curious cat-like walk. He moved with incredible lightness, as if he expected someone to attack him from behind. Anyone who studied martial arts recognizes that walk. Put him in a suit, he looks like Secret Service. When you put other men in suits, They look like accountants or limo drivers. Leroy told me that his father's nickname was The Boxer. I frowned. I'd hate to be the box. Yeah, Leroy returned. Stealth thinks my dad looks like a stone-cold Steve Austin. Stealth? I asked. Your friend's name is Stealth? Yeah, said Leroy. He's not my friend, though. He's my cousin. Are you trying to tell me that you have an aunt? who named her child Stealth? Leroy nodded. After the bomber. They seemed a strange family to me. Mitch's faith had played a central role in his sobriety, and I couldn't help but be impressed that he had so dramatically turned his life around. How many people manage to alter their core character deliberately, sentiently, 
as adults. I could list folks who had changed gradually over time, mellowing under the gentle weight of decades. And I could name people who had been strengthened by enduring external events out of their control, such as loss or trauma. But I couldn't name a single person who had managed to transform himself on his own. In this sense, Mitch was a rare bird. When I asked him how he had achieved such a stunning turnaround, he shrugged. That wasn't me. That was all God. Yikes. I had grown up in a conservative Mennonite community, and this sort of totalizing religious expression made me uncomfortable. I associated it with foofy needlepoint pillows that said, I believe in angels, or, in the other direction, giant lawn boards advising neighbors to repent, sinners. Some of the church folk in my community of origin referred to me as upgefallen, fallen away.